All right, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Matthew 24. We're going to look briefly, uh, mostly at verse 14. I'm going to read verses 3 through 14, Matthew 24, 3 through 14. It's on page 1054 if you're using one of the Bibles that we have underneath the chair in front of you. Kids, if you're going to track the word of the day, it's finished. Okay? Um, Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Matthew 24, starting in verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things be, will these things be, and what will the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, we do thank you for Justina's testimony that we just heard, that by wanting to learn English, she began to develop relationship with people who know you, and then she started coming to church, and then she has trusted you, and she'll be baptized. It is so wonderful to see you work, Lord, and to see that you work through people, through ordinary people. And that's what we've been discussing for these weeks, Lord. And so this morning, would you just uh, seal in all the good things that we have seen in your word? Would you use this time to build us up, help us to see the power of the gospel? And Lord, send us out so that we might continue to advance the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So you may or may not know that on any given day, there are about 23,000 flights that take off and land at airports in America. 23,000 flights, which means that at any given moment, there's about 5,000 planes above holding about a million people. And so at any given moment, there's a million people above us flying at 300 miles an hour uh, at at about 30,000 feet above us, which is pretty impressive if you think about it. Now, think about this. That's pretty normal. Like, we we know that. Uh, But 100 years ago, the thought of people flying around in airplanes, uh, it was absolutely just things of science fiction. Until, of course, there were the two brothers, the Wright brothers, Orville and Wilbur, And they actually ended up turning science fiction into reality uh, by inventing ways for us to actually fly, for human beings to fly. And what's interesting is they got the idea 
in the fall of 1878 when their father came home one day with a toy. And the toy was one of those little wind-up uh, helicopters where uh, you spin the rotor manually and there's a rubber band tightening up and then when you let go, it kind of flies off into the air for a little bit and then, of course, breaks. But they, from that, got the idea, what if we could build something that would get us in the air? And they set a goal and they began working towards that goal and it took 25 years But eventually, on December 17th, 1703, Orville himself went airborne for the very first time for 12 gravity-defying seconds. And it was uh, the first powered, piloted flight in history. And so now that has turned into what we know today as just common air travel, something that we're very familiar with. And you can imagine that the Wright brothers had absolutely no idea how their invention would completely change the way the world operates. But they set a goal, and they worked toward that goal, and in in accomplishing that goal, it has actually totally changed the world. Now, when we think about these spiritual gifts and these roles and ministries that we've been talking about for the last several weeks, it's important that we understand that there's a goal involved, there's an end game. Because reality, we've been talking about there's, you know, we all have a part, God has generously given us Every one of us a part in ministry and in the advancing of the gospel. And he's given all of us a purpose in building up the body of Christ as well as getting the gospel to our neighbors and the nations. We've, we've talked about how there's a place for each one of us, physical place where we would serve. And last week, how there's a power. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do these things. And so this morning, we want to pray that God would develop in each one of us a passion. A deep and abiding passion to serve, to use our gifts, all because of the reality of the main goal, the overarching task of the church that's been given to us by Jesus. The worldwide church, all over the world, people who are following Christ have one major task, and really understanding why we are wanting to serve and use our spiritual gifts ties right into that. That we would be a part of the completion of, of a task, of an assignment. And that would be bringing the gospel to the nations. And so our focus for this morning is that the overarching task of the church is to preach the gospel to and make disciples in all nations. That's the overarching task. Everything we're doing is contributing to that. Ultimately, it's glorifying God, and then practically speaking, it is contributing to the gospel going to all nations. The nations, And so we're going to talk about three things this morning as we bring our sermon series on the generosity of God and the freedom to live generously with our time and talent. We'll talk about three things. We'll talk about how we're not finished, and then we'll talk a little bit about when we are finished, and finally serving with passion. So we're, we're not finished when we're finished and serving with passion. Look again at verse 14. I'm not going to talk too much about the whole passage that we read, but I do want to look back at verse 14. In context, Jesus is telling the disciples here, there's a whole lot of stuff, and a lot of it's going to be very difficult that's going to transpire before something happens, and then he gets to that something. He refers to an end. So take a look, verse 14. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It's a powerful thing that he's saying there because the disciples were asking, when is this going to end or when are things going to happen? When are you coming back? And this is what he says. This is his response. 
When the gospel has been proclaimed to all nations as a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. And so we have to understand that there's this task, there's this overarching task that we have to take the gospel to the nations and make disciples of all nations. Think about the Great Commission. We see that in the Great Commission as well. Matthew 28. Part of it is on the back wall there. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and I will be with you until the end of the age. Right there, even in the Great Commission, he's saying that this is a temporary time. There's the rest of this age. It's going to come to an end. And it'll come to an end when there are disciples from every single nation. People group. We see this in Luke's gospel and Mark's gospel. In Luke 24, 46, Jesus is speaking, says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. It's everywhere. It's in Mark's gospel. In Mark's recording of this conversation about the end, Jesus says in Mark thirteen ten, And this gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Okay? It's in the book of Acts. Why did they go off to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel? Because Jesus had said to them, not only do we have the Great Commission, but in Acts 1. It says, so they, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The power of the Holy Spirit, we talked about that last week. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem where they were, in Judea and Samaria, which were the surrounding areas of of, of where they were, and to the end of the earth. You see it? Once again, he's talking about being his witnesses, taking the good news, taking the gospel to the very end of the earth. And that's what we are to do as the church. Our overarching task is to take the good news that whoever trusts in Christ is forgiven of all of their sin and declared righteous in God's sight and promised eternal life. That news is to go to the ends of the earth. Paul talks about it in Romans 11 when he refers to the time right now as the time until the fullness of the nations have come in. This imagery of God is gathering in people from the nations as the church is proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel. I mean, even in my morning devotion, there it was. In John 11, as I was reading John 11, it just jumped off the page in verse 52, where it talks about the gathering in of the children of God who are scattered abroad. It's everywhere. It's in Isaiah. It's in the Old Testament too. Isaiah 49 verse 6, he says, God speaking to his people, I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. There it is again. I mean, it's everywhere that God has a task for his people. His church on earth, that we would be advancing the gospel in word and deed to the ends of the earth, that every nation, every people group has heard the good news. So we are, we have to understand we're in a temporary time. This age will come to an end once the gospel has reached the ends of the earth. We're, we're working towards something. We have a goal. We have a task that we are seeking to accomplish, which God is empowering us to do, of course. But there's work to be done. We're not finished. And the beautiful thing is when the gospel has reached all the nations, Jesus says, then the end will come. 
And we'll talk about what the end will look like here in a moment. But here's, there's some very good news. We may wonder, I mean, do we accomplish this? Does this happen? And yes, absolutely this happens. John in the book of Revelation gives us a clear picture that the church accomplishes this task. The church reaches every nation with the gospel and there will be people from every nation worshiping God in the new heavens and new earth. Listen to this. A very favorite and well-known verse for many of us. Revelation 7, 9. John says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, which is a symbol of victory. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so think about this. There's no question of whether or not the church accomplishes what we call the Great Commission. There's no question of whether or not we take the gospel to every nation. It happens. We've seen it. The question is just how long it would take, which we don't know. But... As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we should keep in mind that we are actually working towards something. When we think about using our spiritual gifts, it is because we're all working towards this goal of letting the entire world know of the mercy of God in Christ. Taking the good news, the gospel, to the nations. This is one of the main reasons why we want everybody to know. What is your spiritual gift? What is your role? In what ways is God empowering you, enabling you, guiding you, leading you? to be advancing the gospel. And the the certainty, the fact that we have certainty that it happens, that the church accomplishes her task, should give us incredible courage, right? So, what about a glimpse of when we are finished? Let's talk about when we're finished. And in one sense, um, as we'll see, there's no way we can possibly really wrap our minds around what it's going to be like, except that it's wildly beyond any of our dreams and imaginations Amazing. Um, Let's talk about this in in the picture that's painted in the Bible. We are given this breathtaking view of what things will be like. And the reality is what the Bible teaches is that after the church has finished her task, after the gospel has been proclaimed to all the nations, that's when Christ will return to make all things new. Okay, so that's what the next thing that we need to understand. When we're finished, when the gospel has been taken to all nations, Christ returns and makes all things new. Christ's return is talked about in Acts 1 as well. Right after Jesus sends them out to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, then we see that it says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he, as he went, behold, two men stood with them in white robes, signaling that they were angels, messengers. And they said, men of Galilee, talking to the disciples, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, he is coming back down. The author of Hebrews in chapter 9, 28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, he's already done that, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Or in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about his return and the judgment that will happen. Uh, there's so many things we could point to. Talking about the fact that Jesus will return. But the other thing that we know is the, the, the descriptions of the future. The, the way the world will be when Jesus returns. And establishes the kingdom of God in full on earth. The reign of God over every 
single thing. It's going to be a, a world that it's hard for us to even imagine. Jesus is going to undo all the damage that we've done, that's been done to us through our sin, through the world, the flesh, and the devil when he returns. And then everything is going to be in harmony. Everything. This is where it's hard to wrap our minds around this. It, it talks about nature. We will live in complete harmony with nature. There will be nothing in nature, nothing in the natural world, world that could hurt us. Uh, listen to Paul in Romans 8. He says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's the Great Commission right there. Okay. And then he says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not, willing, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And that means that those earthquakes and those famines that Jesus said would happen before the end, they're not going to happen anymore after he returns. There's not going to be any floods. There's not going to be any tornadoes. There's not going to be anything in the natural world that would possibly hurt us or break things or do anything that causes any sadness whatsoever. I mean, that's a, how can we even imagine every day is perfectly beautiful? And not just nature, but also including the animal kingdom. The Bible teaches that in the new heavens and new earth, listen to Isaiah's uh, description in chapter 11 and chapter 65. He says, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And talking about animals, he says, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. And so there's this, this picture of the new heavens and new earth where even animals are completely subdued. They're completely wonderful. There's no danger with any animals. And you know how bad you when wanting to ride like an, a rhinoceros, right? I mean, you remember those moments when you see those things and you're thinking, how cool would that be? It's coming. So complete harmony with nature. And then here's the one that even is even harder to wrap our minds around. Total harmony with all other people. All of the redeemed. Those who did not trust Christ will be removed. And it's just those of us who have trust Christ, and then we've been made perfect. We've been resurrected, and we've been made perfect. So everybody treats each other perfectly. Isaiah in the Old Testament and Micah both prophesied about a time when uh, human beings, because of the work of God, would beat their swords into plowshares and their And they're spears into pruning hooks. So we would take the things that we used to use for war and refurbish them so that we can make gardens. And he even says that the that, that nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so we could go on and on about the peace, the shalom that will come with, between human beings that have been redeemed. All sources of misery and sadness will be completely removed listen to john's description in revelation 21 he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said behold i'm making all things new and this is hard to imagine can you imagine a world without evil no hatred of any type, no war, no terrorism. There's no murder. There's no crime at all. You don't lock your door. I don't even know if we have doors. There's no drug addictions. There's no alcoholism. There's no sex trafficking. There's, there's no bullying. 
There's no bigotry. There's no racism. There's no rape. There's no sexual abuse. There's no fighting. There's no, there's no isolation. There's no one lonely. There's no religious persecution. There's no false teaching. I mean, we go on and on and on. You name anything that causes anyone on this planet sadness or misery, and it's all gone. Not in the kingdom. Not when everybody is under the rule and reign of the one true king. And if you're saying, I just can't even, I can't even begin to understand that. Well, that's what Paul says too. He says, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So it's okay if we can't even begin to have a category for understanding what it's going to be like. Paul says, the Bible says we can't really even begin to understand how absolutely different and amazing it will be. Not only is there complete harmony between the redeemed human beings and the natural world as well as all the redeemed human beings and each other, but also, of course, with God. And now you should know that if you have faith in Christ, you're already at peace with God because of what Jesus has done for you. But we don't live in his presence yet. But we will. When Christ returns and establishes the kingdom of God on earth in full, listen, uh, John says in Revelation 21, verse 1 and following, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will Be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. I mean, just just that alone, if that was it, if we were just in the presence of God without any reason to fear because of what Christ has done for us, that alone. Blow our minds for the rest of eternity. So if you think about it, like, you know, again, all these causes of misery or sadness, every one of them goes away. So if you have felt abused in this life, you will be nothing but cherished in the next life. Those of you who always feel judged in this life, you'll be completely understood in the next life. Those of you who have felt rejected in this life, in the, in the kingdom, you'll be accepted by everyone at all times. Those of you who have felt ugly in this life, you'll see how beautiful you really are as an image of God. Those of you who have felt despised in this life, in the next life, you'll be esteemed. Those of you who still feel riddled with guilt, when Jesus comes and the kingdom is here in full, you'll feel that forgiveness. Really, truly feel it. Those of you who are living life sick, you'll be completely healthy. Those of you who are bored will be completely inspired at all times. Think you're going to be bored in heaven? What God are you thinking about? I mean, it's going to be mind-blowing all the time. Those of you who feel burned out will be constantly rejuvenated in the kingdom. Those of you who always feel pressure here, you'll be completely at ease. Those of us who have felt hated will feel nothing but loved. You see what I'm saying? When the kingdom comes in full and everything is under the reign of God, it's a new heaven and a new earth and it's something so amazing, we really can't even begin to think of what it's going to be like, except for the fact that we'll know we'll want it to go on forever. Listen to this. J.I. Packer says this. He says, hearts on earth may say in the course of a joyful experience, I don't want this ever to end, but invariably it does. 
the hearts of those in heaven say, I want this to go on forever, and it will. There's no better news than that, he says. And so the question is, do we believe this? Do we really believe that this is the future, that, that this glimpse, this, this perfect harmony with all of nature, perfect harmony with all of the redeemed people, perfect harmony with God in this perfect place forever, if we really believe that's what's to come, and then we see that Jesus says, once the gospel has reached all nations, then the end will come. That is reason for us to, every one of us, be passionate about serving, passionate about doing our part, passionate about making our contribution to the completion of the Great Commission. There's so much to do right here. There's so much to do among the nations. And we have every reason to be passionate about seeing God glorified among all nations. So that all who hear that gospel and believe it will be one day with us in the new heavens and new earth for all eternity. We should be praying that God would give us a deep passion to advance the gospel both to our neighbors and to the nations and see that, yes, we all have a part in ministry. We all have a part to play in this. And there's a purpose. And we all have a different place where we can serve and we all have a power through the Holy Spirit. This is not something we do on our own. If you weren't here last week, you've got to listen to the other sermons in this series. You've got to see the power that we have through the work of the Holy Spirit. We have all those things, and now we just need passion. We need the passion that will compel us to continue to work hard to finish the task. So let's talk about serving with passion. Lastly, I just want to think about that. I want to think about serving with passion, and I want to give you, tell you two stories that I think helps us understand this. Um, Hannah and I have moved twice in the last 10 years, roughly. The first one was when we moved here to Orlando from Minnesota, which, yes, was shocking. Um, But, you know, we we went and we crammed everything we owned, which wasn't a whole lot, but we crammed everything we owned into the back of this U-Haul. It was so full, mind you, this was a small truck, it's like the smallest one you can get, but nonetheless, it was so full, we had to like stick our hand up and push stuff back and shut the door on our, my arm and sort of pull it out, and uh, it, was, it was crazy, right? Well, then we get here, and Hannah's family was here, and that was it, that was that's the only people we knew in the area, and they were from a couple hours away anyway, but they came up and they helped us move in, and since it was just a handful of people, it took forever, and it was July 11th. 2006 and the reason i remember that is because i had never seen heat like that it's like welcome to florida no i don't want to be in florida if this is the way it is i mean it was like ridiculous i know this isn't sunday morning friendly but i was drenched in my own sweat it was horrible i've never been that sweaty i lost like 40 pounds (laughs) it took forever and then we finally finished okay so that's one now we moved again when i graduated from RTS in 2009, we bought a house uh, in the Waterford area, and many of you were probably there when we moved in because I was the youth pastor then, and one of the perks of youth ministry is, if you're moving, hey, you say, hey kids, work day, and everybody, all the students show up, and we had like 25 students there. And so I backed the truck right up onto my lawn. It's the first house I owned. I wanted to drive on my own grass. Come on. So I backed the truck up onto the lawn, and I'm not kidding you, from the moment I opened the back of the gate to the moment I shut it empty, less than 20 minutes. It was amazing. I, was, I kept looking at my watch like, how is this possible? But it was possible because there was about 20-some people there, and everybody was doing something. 
And some people were grabbing the big things together and other people were grabbing little things. But one way or another, in and out of that truck, in and out of that truck, into our house and out of our house, and 20 minutes later, done. The reality is each of us, as each of us serves, we're contributing, we're doing part of the work. There's a whole variety of ways that we do things, whole variety of parts of the work, right? That's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. But you've got to understand that everything that we're doing is contributing to our church as well as the worldwide church. We're all working together with all of the believers all over the planet. And therefore, it makes sense that the more of us that are passionate about serving and the more of us that are passionately using our gifts and serving, then the sooner we actually accomplish the mission. The sooner we finish the task that Jesus has given to the church to take the gospel to all nations. There's two ways I like to think about this. We want to be a part of the church growing where it is. Okay, and that includes our impact here because don't hear me saying just words. Uh, every time we see in the New Testament when the gospel goes, it goes in word and deed. Okay, so people hear the good news, but they see it too with the, the good things that are done in Jesus' name. And so there should be impact here. And we want to talk about the church growing here where it is, but we also want to be thinking about being involved in the church going where it isn't. We often refer to that as missions. We want to see missionaries going to these unreached people groups. And so there's a whole number of ways that we've been talking about that you can serve if you want to be involved in the church growing where it is. We've talked about being involved in the worship service on Sunday mornings or being involved in helping uh, uh, develop community with other believers or being on mission to help bring the gospel to the people in our city who don't know it or people who are in need. And then, of course, there's going where the church isn't. And that's really missionaries going to the nations. To ensure that worship and community and mission are happening all over the world until the gospel has reached every nation. And there is, here's the thing, like we, we don't think about it all the time, but you know, we're praying on Sunday mornings for these unreached people groups. There are about 16,000 recognized people groups and there's about 6,000 that are still unreached, that still need people going to them with the gospel. And a portion of them have not even ever been engaged. There's zero Christians in many people groups. These are ethnic language-based groups. So there's a lot of them. And the reality is, you know, I, I quote John Piper from time to time. Here's one of my favorite quotes by John Piper. He says, we should be dumbfounded at how doable the remaining task of world missions is. If you take the number of Christians and the number of churches and the number even of denominations, and then you take that little bit of unreached people groups that are left. I mean, if the more we work together, the more we all serve and all get on board This thing gets done. God is working through us right now. And so we want to pray that we would be a church filled with people who are passionate about advancing the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. And that everybody would play a role. Everybody. That you'd be used by God in the greatest mission ever. And so I want to challenge you, if you are somebody who knows your role, if, you, if you're serving in a certain way, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to realize that even when you don't see fruit, even when it, thinks, it looks like things are falling apart and you're thinking, did I just waste my time trying to talk to that person or teach that person or love that person or serve that person? No! You did not waste your time. Everything that we're doing, God, is using all of those things and somehow it's all working together to move the ball down the field until the gospel gets to all the nations. So be encouraged. If you're not serving, 
Get in the game. Let's let's do this. Don't let another week go by without you choosing something. And one of the things you can do if you look in your bulletin, we're beginning to publish uh, all the different open spots. These are spots that we need filled to continue to do things uh, as we feel God calling us to do them. And you can look at the website. There's all sorts of new information. All this stuff is on the website too, but there's even more detailed descriptions. Okay, the staff has been working night and day on this. And by that, I just mean day because we're not slave drivers. But the point is you have access now to see what you could be doing. If you're not doing something, you can just pick something. Jump in. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, we'll try something else. But keep going until you have some way in which you're making your contribution to the completion of of the Great Commission. Maybe you come to Cherokee, North Carolina with me and several others this summer. Or maybe you go to Acapulco and work at the orphanage with the other group that's going. If you've never been on a mission trip, let, just pray about it. Maybe this is the year. There's information on the, on the website about the uh, uh, mission trips as well. So three, three final reasons. Three reasons why everybody should be passionate about serving, using their gifts, being involved, making a contribution to the completion of the Great Commission. Number one, the gospel's true. The gospel's true. And what I mean by that is that we are all sinners. We do all deserve God's punishment. We deserve to not be in the new heavens and new earth in the presence of God. But the good news, gospel means good news. The good news is that Jesus has come. He's lived a perfect life. He's died a sinner's death. He gives both of those to us so that our sin is paid for by his death and our righteousness is supplied by his life. And it's all received by grace through faith. Of Nothing that we do, it's all God's mercy and grace. And that's true, and it's good news, and we want the whole world to hear. And that's our job. That's our assignment. Reason number two, the task is not complete. We have a list. There are organizations tracking how many people groups still need to hear. So there's a lot more work to do. We have work to do here. God's got children right around here that need to know they're God's children. They need to hear the gospel. And if they respond positively, we know that's because God has already adopted them as his child. So the task is not complete. The gospel is true. The task is not complete. And number three, the Bible is serious about what happens after the task is finished. Jesus does return and he establishes the kingdom in full. It's the new heavens and new earth. The age we're in now comes to an end. And a time begins where we will live in perfect harmony with God, with one another, with our surroundings and our environment. And that time will never end. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this truth. And we are often amazed that you would use ordinary people like us in your extraordinary and extravagant plan of redemption. Lord, you have forgiven us and declared us righteous all because of the finished work of Christ. If there are any here today that don't know you, have not received that, Lord, press it into their hearts today that they would receive by grace through faith the forgiveness and righteousness that we can only have through Christ. And then equip all of us and encourage all of us, get us out there and in here and wherever it is that you might have for us. Help us to serve with passion to make our contribution to the completion of the Great Commission. And we pray that the gospel will move quickly and, if, and all the nations will hear soon so that our king can return. Bless us until then. Help us to look forward to that day every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.